Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. I have a word from the Lord today. And this thing, I've been carrying it And I was telling my friends, I feel like I'm carrying a 50-pound watermelon. And if I don't have somewhere to set this thing down, I'm going to drop it all over the place. It has been something I can't get rid of. It has been stirring on the inside of me. And I feel that this is not just a word from the Lord for grace. Um, and all of you mighty men and women of God in this place, but for the body of Christ right now. And it's just, it's something I just can't let go. Do you ever have something that just keeps, no matter where you start, you keep coming back around to it, and everything that comes out of your mouth seems to be along that line? This has been one of those things for me. And... uh, So I'm really excited to see what he's going to do in this place. Because he is here. And he is with you. And he brought you and drew you here by his spirit today. So we're going to start out in Genesis chapter 32. And we're going to visit some passages, this story about Jacob and the turning point in Jacob's life. And I'm going to tell you the body of Christ is at a turning point right now. And we are in a place where we have some decisions to make by the Spirit. That this is a place where in this time of decision that it could go different ways. But all God needs is one person. All God ever needed in the word of God, as you look through it, was one person to say yes to him. He didn't need a company. He didn't need a tribe. He didn't need a nation. He didn't even have a nation when he met with Jacob here in chapter 32. There was no Israel. But God wanted to make a nation, and before he could make a nation, he needed to make a man. Before he could change and do his will in the earth, the first thing he does is find one person, just one, that says, that's it, yes, okay. And Jacob, I don't know, guys, he just seems like the most unlikely of anyone He was so lacking character. He was really the diametric opposite of anyone that you would think would be suitable to be used by God, let alone to be the father of his entire nation of Israel. And yet here he was, if you look all, if you look through the several chapters preceding this, you'll have some fun um, 
getting a chance to look at what a jerk he was. And it's important to know what a jerk he was. Because a lot of times we disqualify ourselves from ministry because we feel like there's such a gap between where we are, who we are, and what it is we feel like needs to be done. Do you ever look at um, watching Ron's videos of Zambia and think, how do you make a dent? Like, how do you touch it? How do you even come close to it? The need is so great, right? And we constantly think in those terms. So I believe that it was so sovereign that the Lord chose a man that was completely unlikely because he was going to show the difference that he makes in a person's life who says yes, not to just, um, not to minimize, not to simply being saved, but to being sanctified and to being sent and to be radically used by the Lord. So let's take a look at this. Now, I would love to go through this whole chapter. I really would um, because I've been studying the whole thing and studying a lot more than I'm going to have time to share with you. But we're going to start right now with a couple of things. I'm going to start you with verse 11 in chapter 32. And I want you to get a sense of how terrified Jacob is. Because Jacob the jerk had um, stolen his brother's birthright. And that means the double portion of the inheritance, being the head of the household. Birthright's different than blessing. And so he'd stolen that. Remember the whole story of the, you know, lentil soup? And he, um, Esau was hungry, and he said, here, um, I'm so starving. Let me have your lentil soup that Jacob had made. And Jacob said, so, I'll tell you what. You want that lentil soup? Just, I'll trade you for your birthright. Um, that's some kind of hungry uh, to surrender that. And he did, and the sick thing is that Jacob did that at all. Um, so he did that. Um, he uh, constantly was doing wrong and horrible things with him. And then you know the story that sums it all up is when he stole the father's blessing. And there's, you know, everybody knows about that because that message really went around for a long time. So he stole the father's blessing from him, and here he is seeing him 20 years later for the first time. He hasn't, he's uh, getting ready to go out to meet him, and he gets everything together, and he's, um, uh, he, find, he sends servants on ahead with droves and droves, all separated of camels and, and donkeys and horses and sheep and cattle and everything to appease him, to buy him off, not to um, be, not to uh, repent, but to manipulate him one more time. And the servants come running back and they go, oh, oh, okay, so we found Jacob out there in the wilderness and here's what he said. He said that, uh, He's bringing 400 men out to meet you on horses. And the word says here that he was terrified. Say terrified. 
Guys, have you ever been really afraid? Have you ever been really terrified? Go there for a moment. More than one time. How many more than one time where you feel like, I'm just really afraid? Have you ever been in real incredible danger? These are the feelings that he was. And he thought, oh, my God, this is not going to go well. If this was friendly, he would just meet me. So he says in verse 11, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he come and attack me and the mothers and the children. And so then he tells the Lord, you know, you prophesied over me and you told me that I was going to do great things in the earth. So I'm just reminding you that I kind of got to be alive to do that. And he is sending them across the way Cross the river, and he is preparing to spend the night alone. So we're going to fast forward to verse 20, where it says um, in the middle, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward, I will see his face, and perhaps he will accept me. So the present is based on. Um, passed on before him, and he himself spent the night in the camp. Verse 24, then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So it's when God saw that Jacob had not prevailed against him, God touched the socket of Jacob's thigh so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated when he wrestled with him. Then God said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so God said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And God said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God. And with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked and said, please, tell me your name. But God said, why is it that you ask my name? Everybody say, why? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel. For he said, my life, I have seen God face to face. And my life has been preserved. And he was afraid of Esau before that, right? Um, he had no idea who he's getting ready to really meet. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over, verse 31, Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore to this day the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of his thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh and the sinew of the hip. So we're going to do a quick word study on a few of these, and I want you to get a picture. So the word left there in verse 24, Jacob was left alone. That word means abandoned, stripped, reduced. Have you ever lost everything? Guys, see, I have. So when I... When I read this, this doesn't seem like, well, you know, that just happens to some people. 
I really have lost everything, and I've come awfully close to losing it more than once. And that feeling of how could you ever bring anything back to life? How could you ever do anything now? Now what do I do, Father? And I'm telling you, um, uh, it's a good place to be. Stripped down, nothing in my way. He sent all of, hi, Robert. I'm sitting here going, I know you. Um, He sent them all across the river. They didn't leave him. He sent them. He wanted to be completely alone because he was terrified and he was afraid. And then the word says he wrestled with a man till daybreak. There's a couple things there. First of all, the word wrestle um, means to grapple with one at their feet as in the dust. Right? So the Lord standing up, so to speak, it doesn't mean an arm wrestling match. It doesn't mean a wrestling match like in high school. It means to grapple with one at their feet is in the dust. And that word grapple there, that's the word picture, by the way. But it means to contend, which is to struggle to surmount in difficulty and danger. He was contending. He was debating. He was grappling. He was wrestling. Guys, this wasn't just a physical thing. It showed up physically, but it was when you're afraid, when you're terrified, when you're mortified, you are bargaining, you're making your case, you're trying to figure out a way to do this. You don't know which way to go from here. And, but it gives the, um, the idea that there was argument, that there was debate, that he wasn't agreeing with what the Lord was speaking to him, although the Lord doesn't say what he said up to this point. So it says that, um, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak, and when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, that word prevail is different, and that means to succeed or overpower. So Jacob had not um, overpowered the Lord. Thank God. Somebody said once, if you're in a wrestling match with God, make sure he wins. Okay. Um, so uh, he touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated. Now, I had some fun with this one, um, and I might, a couple of you might wince. Um, it says he touched. Um, that's an authoritative touch. We think of a touch as sort of like this, but um, touching is an authoritative touch here. Naga, it means to smite or to strike. So there's authority there. And if you think about it, a genuine touch of God is never just this little feathery thing. It is um, the touch of God is something that changes a person. If, if I fall down and I get up the same, it wasn't God who sent me there. 
if I feel like I'm touched by the Lord, the touch of God is life-altering. Have you been touched by God? I really do want some company here to, to see. How many of you guys have had the Spirit of the Lord radically impact your life in an encounter with him? Or you have really experienced him. And this is one of the problems, by the way, I'm going to um, just jump off for a second, with what we're seeing. We're seeing the, the greatest um, exodus of college kids from the Lord that has ever happened in the history of the church. The, the last uh, statistic I read was 85% of college students once in their freshman year, quit following Jesus there. You want to know why? Jesus up here preaching my sermon. I'm going to make you go over there and sit back or give you a mic. <laughs> because they were playing games and having light shows and rock concerts, which are all fun, and I love them all, you guys but they weren't encountering the Lord. Because once you've been encountered by the Lord, you can't argue that out of you. It is life-altering. You, you keep pointing back to it. If I said right now, jump up and tell me a time when you encountered the Lord, you have probably told that story, and you probably have a, a cluster of stories that you've told over and over again because it was so life-impacting. And it is, but this generation is, is desperate to really meet him and to really know him. And so here is Jacob the jerk, and he is debating and contending with the Lord. And the Lord is like, well, it's time for that encounter. So he touched him. And the, it says the socket. Now, the socket here is the hollow or empty place in an object. So I had some fun with word studies. Anybody else like them? It's just so cool. Um, it's the empty place on the inside of a jar. He touched him where he was empty. He touched him where there was a place was emptied. Thigh, now this is where I'm going to hear it, okay? Okay, so it means a man's foundation, strength, source of life. Now, you're going to have fun hearing what I did for the first time, that there is a healthy cluster of scholars that believe that, this, that the word thigh means male genitals which might explain the limp. <laughs> well, look, yeah. <laughs> he was utterly conquered in that place. I, it doesn't matter how strong a man is. Now, regardless of if, whether this is 
um, that particular part of a man's body or not. If it was, I have never seen even the fiercest, most powerful athlete not crumble down to the ground if he is um, smited um, there. It utterly broke him, which wherever it was. God hid him where it hurt, where he would finally give up, where he would submit and be changed. Wherever your theology is on all of that, that's what it says, that the Lord did this, right? And that it utterly conquered him. So then it says here, then he said, Verse 26, let me go for the dawn is breaking. God said here, let me go for the dawn is breaking. And, and he said, Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And that word bless there means actually bless. So he had connived and manipulated and stolen and, um, you know, completely with a total lack of character, he had been blessed by man. He had had hands laid on him, and he'd been prophesied over. How many people go to meetings where there's a prophetic anointing or somebody has a prophet's ministry, and they line up by the scores to hear a word from the Lord and to get somebody to put their hands on them and tell them who they are and tell them for what they were born into this earth? And to get a man to speak to them and give them that understanding, that sense of identity, that sense of confidence, that empowerment. But it doesn't come from a person. And that's why we don't see it. Because we've got human fingerprints all over our souls, all over our lives. We've got their sermons. We've got their methods we preach like them or teach like them and we are walking without a limp which signifies the sense of we have got the touch of God on our lives because when someone with that touch of God gets up and starts preaching the word my God everything in me just starts yielding are you that way you just like be like take it you know it just feels um their submission is just drawn from me you don't have to tell me to obey i can't help it you don't have to tell me to worship i can't help it right you just there is just that sense because it's an authoritative touch. It's an authoritative word. And once God takes, you know, once he touches us, his hand is always on us. Right? It's not like, well, where do I go? Where's that canal? Um, No, it's now he's with you. And there's such a difference in the earth when that sound happens. And, and I long for it. I am so desperate. I remember many, many years ago, 
when I had the students at Christ for the Nations call up and inter get live interviews or face-to-face -face interviews with different leaders across the nation and get them to tell them, what was the price you paid to be in that place with the Lord? What was it like for you? And somebody called up Mario Murillo and used a hotel room somewhere. And I remember Mario said, um, he started weeping. He, he just sort of digressed from the question. And he said, I just want to know, where are the Lord's anointed? Where are the Lord's anointed? Where are the Lord's anointed? Salvation is free. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are a gift. But the anointing will cost you everything. It is not free. It comes by contending and getting powdered. It comes because we surrender. You guys know that song, I Surrender All? Oh, Jesus. Like, oof. what does that even mean? It means something new every month, really. But there's so much left of me. I can't, I can't believe how there seems to be no end of me that gets in the jar and starts filling it up. Oh, how this earth longs. The world, in my estimation, is waiting for us to get with God. And then they're going to be like, well, let's go. Like, let's go. He's there with them, and they, they walk like him. They act like him. They're so imperfect. They're so crazy flawed, but they're so full of Jesus, and they love him, and, and they, he loves through them. And they come to that. They really do come to it. God gave Jacob a chance to let go. Just let go now. Dawn's breaking. Why don't you just go ahead and say amen like, every, you know, it's over now. And he said, uh-uh. Now, you don't understand something. I won't let you go until you actually bless me. I really don't have a blessing. I don't have what I need. And that's what the Lord needed right there, didn't he? I'm empty. I don't have what it takes. And he was in the absolute perfect place. No, it wasn't a person that had it all together and had this amazing, flawless life. It was a person that had finally been emptied of himself and said, I won't let you go until you bless me. I won't let you go until your handprints are all over me. I won't let you go until you change me. And that's the problem. We know theology, but we don't know the Lord. We know scripture, and we can quote scripture. But we haven't been changed. 
And I think, I don't know about you, but I need that, like, kind of cyclically. I need uh, these moments. And for me, they're never by my appointment, by the way. I can be in the shower and get all messed up. Um, and it's so good, you know. Or be carrying some kind of unforgiveness or some kind of um, thing, you know, between me and the Lord, some kind of offense or bitterness or whatever. And I'll be, you know, do you ever pray? Do you ever say things like God's dealing with me? Y'all ever say that? Okay, well, I say that. And that usually means I'm, I'm uh, disobeying and I'm, and I'm not changing. And then he'll just catch me in a car when I'm driving, I'm remembering. He'll catch me in a shower another time. I remember. He'll get me in a hotel room and just ambush me like grief out of nowhere. It ambushes, you know, just like that. Surprise me with, oh, I'm here and we're going to talk. And, and it's like he just changes my heart like I don't want anymore. I can't carry it anymore. I can't be that way anymore. I just can't. And, and the grace to repent, you know that grace. That grace to go, no, no, I am not messing around, Lord. I'm going to quit saying, Lord, just take this from me. Um, change my heart so utterly and completely. And, and remove it from the fabric of who I am. And boy, he does, doesn't he? Oh, it's good. Blessing, revealing God's will with an impartation of favor. Gosh, my lips are so terrible, drive me nuts. Um, with an impartation of the favor, power, and confidence to accomplish it. The blessing gives you, like Saul, the word says, was changed into another man when he prophesied. You know, it was like he... The confidence and the boldness and the authority, um, the change happens. The blessing is not just, okay, you're a really nice person and God's going to use you. I love this. Okay, so I have a generic prophecy for you that everybody gets, okay? Um, Y'all can prophesy it with me. If I start it, you know, right? Um, it goes something like this. God's going to send you into all the nations. I see you in front of a plane heard that one um and and he's gonna send you all over the place and many are gonna come and hear and you're gonna win all these people and or um make all this money or whatever um, there's all kinds of stuff out there um but it's really you know what it is you know what those prophecies are guys i'm sorry but i'm going there they're me 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 Tell me what God is going to do. Tell me what he wants to do. And, oh, God, please let me be a part of it. I don't want to do what I want to do. I don't want to be great. I don't want a name. I don't want to be famous. I want people to know him. 
and get so desperate that you won't let go of crying out after him until he really touches you. Or if it's been too long, get there. Whatever it takes. Bless me. I won't let you go. Uh, no, if he prevailed at all, this is right where it happened, isn't it? Right? No, no. Put your hand on me. God says to him, what is your name? What do men call you? Jacob says, oh, well, Jacob. You guys already know that means supplanter, one who grabs the heel of, right? Jacob, thief, scoundrel, coward, cheat, manipulator. That's how men know me. They know me as somebody who conquers them and uses them and abuses them. That's, that's my name. And the Lord says, you looking at your scriptures here? Oh, I think they got them up there somewhere, don't they? Oh, yay. You guys are so good back there. Um, except for I'm crying and I can't see. Anybody have a tissue? Oh, perfect. Thank you, honey. <sighs> Those are supposed to be for you. I'm supposed to have my act together. Okay. All right. What is your name? And then Jacob says, Jacob. And the Lord says, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You've contended with God. You've debated with God. And the, and the picture here is slightly different because there's a part of this that also means to have power with God. And it's like this back and forth thing. And it's really, it's amazing when you think of it. That authority is shared in a sense. But I don't want that to sound as though it's over the Lord at all. But there's this sense of having power with the Lord. Basically to do what he's on us to do, right? Um, and, and that favor with the Lord. So he says, you... Uh, verse, 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 verse 28. Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you've striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And what is he saying there? He's saying, your name is no longer Jacob, one who strives with men and won't let go. Your name is Israel, one who strives with God and won't let go. Your name is no longer him who abuses and uses and manipulates people. But your name is, literally, by the way, it means one who leads like God. Oh, no. Oh, oh, Jesus. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> you got the closest thing in Pastor Ron that I've ever seen. 
You talk about a man after God's own heart. Um, he just has such a pure heart. And I'm looking around at a bunch of you, and I'm going, oh, yeah, but so do you, and so do you. And Okay. Um, you look like him, too. There's a fragrance in this place. There's such an amazing grace, literally, on this place, an enabling, an empowerment to walk humility, to walk in humility, but to walk with the power of God, to walk with the burden of the Lord, and yet the freedom of the Spirit. What an amazing balance you guys have in this place. Now, I love where he goes from here, guys. He says, then Jacob said, now, guys, this is where it's at, right here. I can't even believe I'm sort of using my notes here. All right. So he says, then Jacob asked him, please, guys, say please, please. tell me your name. Please tell me your name. But God said, why is it that you ask my name? Say why again. Why? Please tell me your name. I want to know you. I know of you. I know that I know people who know you. I've been around you. Please. I want to know who you are. Please don't just touch me. Please tell me who you are. Reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I've spent my life being blessed by man and manipulated my way into their favor. I've spent my life trying to make a name for myself. It didn't change me, and it only made me worse. I only know of you, but I really want to know you. As he held on, please tell me your name. And you know what the word says? Guys, look at that next part. Bear. God blessed him. Because he said, why is it that you ask my name? He wanted his motive. You talk about hitting us where it hurts. That's it. It's our motive. Because, guys, we can look so good on the outside. We can really get it all looking right. We can get our skill level up. We can do all of these things. But it's the motive. God looks at the heart. And, and Jacob was saying, I want you, and I want to know you. And that's my motive. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I am surrendering. And that's why I give up. And I fought and I fought. And, and I surrender. And I want you to conquer me. Because before the Lord, now the operative word here is Lord, before the Lord will commission you, he must first conquer you. And that conquering, oh gosh, it 
it's all lifelong because it's sort of like whack-a-mole, you know? I'm like, and every time I turned around, uh, Lynn's popping up, and there's more of me yet, but there's a lot of uh, time to meet with him face-to-face and know him and the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection and being conformed to his death where I can have a good burial for me. He blessed him there and he poured out his spirit and he poured into his destiny, his destiny into him. Guys, here's the thing. We keep pouring destiny into people who aren't surrendered. We keep, and now, by the way, you guys get me. You know, most of you have a relationship with me. And you know that um, I'm not really talking about the way grace is because it's really different, okay? Um, but, but the body of Christ right now keeps blessing with human hands what God has not blessed. And we keep um, doing things that are out of the flesh instead of by the Spirit. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, yes, there is liberty. And this is not a church in this generation that I would describe as a church that's truly free. Not really, guys, not really. They need freedom. And if you're like, no, man, we're totally free. Okay, good. You guys need to, like, all up and infect a lot of people. I'd like to see grace multiply itself all over this nation because there's a simplicity to you that is so pleasing to the heart of God. It is so precious and wonderful. It is so non-showy and and demonstrative and all that. You know what I mean? And I'm not against talent. You guys, you know, I love it. It's just that, um, boy, you really need the Lord here. You do. Here's the thing. We're not changed because we're not leading people into repentance when they come to Jesus. Right? And I know that you guys are into this, but I want this recorded. We are not preaching repentance that will bring freedom and unbelievable liberty from sin because we're afraid that if we do, that people aren't going to come. But let me tell you, they're already not coming. So I don't think that's the problem. The problem is, now, I was a really good sinner. And I really was excited when I went into a Pentecostal church and I saw that they served a Jesus that set them free. And I was doing all these drugs and all this nonsense that I don't want to put pictures in your mind and um, horrible things, and I was so utterly bound. And I wanted to be free. And they they preached repent and be saved. They preached repent and believe. They preached repent for the kingdom of God is near. 
And so I knew that when I came down and I gave my life to Jesus, I needed to leave a whole bunch of stuff there. And so I waited eight months and went four times a week and was getting myself ready because there was an awful lot that I needed that was filling up my jar. And I, need, and I wasn't going to mess around. I wasn't going to be like some of the people that I saw that were just kind of acting the same in church. I, like, I knew that, you know, there were some people who were totally free. And by God, I was going to be one of them. And so when I got saved, I didn't even make it down to the altar. I was down there in the back somewhere where Jenny is, you know, kind of in the middle. And um, I, uh, there was an Indian guy up at the front. He's like, and you need to come up to the Lord. And, and he's walking up and down, and I didn't understand a word he was saying except for that whole God-shaped whole thing. And, um, uh, and he said, you come up here, and I'll pray for you, and you'll be saved. And I'm like, I can't get up there. And I just threw my hands up in my air in the air, which was even weirder when you think about it because my whole row of everybody was a bunch of druggy friends. And, you know, I lift up my hands and my halter top and, you know, my hip, hip huggers and, um, and uh, my eyeliner and my bare feet. And, and I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. And that gift, that gift to completely let go, to completely surrender, to completely give up was just there. Because... They preached freedom. And so I was going after free and then that whole free indeed thing. And then I went the next day, and you guys probably know the story, and I went the next day and, and led a bunch of friends to the Lord on a park bench. Um, and I had my guitar, and I didn't know any Christian songs. And so I'm like, well, okay. So I just started making up words about, you know, something like come to Jesus and I want all your reefers and, you know, your cigarettes and, and, and put your alcohol down in here. And I had an altar call up on the, um, the picnic table. I'm standing on the picnic table. That's the only time I was on a stage that um, I liked. And so, um, and, and then I just had them bring all their stuff and just lay it all there. And, and they did. And then we, we gave the coolest offering ever. And we all grabbed all that stuff because um, all my druggy friends were like, you are really different. You are really strange. But yeah, like you are free. That's all, I, that's all I knew. If you repent and you're serious and you repent of everything, he's not, he is absolutely going to set you free. So we gave this offering and we went to the public toilet. And we went in there, and this is, you know, so politically incorrect, and we um, dumped all of our um, joints and, and everything in the toilet and, and flushed it. We worshiped. And then we all came into church on Wednesday night and freaked out all the Assemblies of God elders. Um, <laughs> But they were amazing. They're like you guys. They're like, well, then come. Let him who is thirsty come. The spirit and the bride 
Guys, when we take repentance out of the gospel, we take the promise of freedom. What's the point? Like, that's the, that's the distinction. There's two distinctions of the body of Christ, the people of God. One is, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from this place. Like, his presence with us, right? And the other one is freedom. Freedom. Wow, you are free. And if you're not free, you're leaving free. Um, where's Amy? Where's Amy? Are you here? Oh, would you mind coming up, friend? Um, oh, Jesus. The wilderness is designed to conquer the fear of man and give us the fear of God. Wilderness was always a place of identity and always a place of destiny and always a place of conquering fear. And right now, if you think about it, and I just said, what are you afraid of? It's pretty right there, isn't it? You know, there's a lot of things that the enemy tries to entangle us with. So you tell me the word, guys. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power. Love and a sound mind. Ready? Say it again. But of power and love and a sound mind. That is the heritage, the legacy of the people of God. That he conquers the fear of man in us. That he conquers the fear of failure. That he conquers the fear of future. With God, all things are possible. You can't do it without him, but you're not without him. Just get his handprints all over you. Just meet with him face to face. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we with unveiled faces are beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, and we're being transformed into that same image by the Lord, the Spirit. He just changes us in His presence. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.